Shall we get started then, Dan? Are you, uh, yeah. you started, Jeff? So we'll just, so I'll, I'll do the introductions and then we'll get straight into the questions. Yeah, we're starting off with some more serious questions and then towards the end, we've got some more lighthearted ones. Here goes. Dan, is it episode 10, Dan? Yes, episode 10 we're on now. Brilliant. Right, okay. Welcome to episode 10 of More Than A Job podcast. My name is Mike Bradford. And I am Daniel Bull. And tonight we've got Jess Phillips, who is the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley since 2015. And she now sits on the front bench as a shadow minister for domestic violence and safeguarding. Recently to coincide with International Women's Day and the high profile murder of Sarah Everard, Jess read out the names of 118 women and girls who were killed where a man has been charged as primary perpetrator. Jess has run a campaign which saw children from Birmingham deliver a petition to Downing Street in protest at school cuts, and her own father, Stuart, was a teacher. Jess, welcome to More Than A Job podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. You've been in the news a lot recently, primarily campaigning to protect women from all forms of harassment and violence. Can you give our listeners a summary of what you've been involved with recently? Well, I mean, I suppose since the murder of, or well, the killing of Sarah Everard, there's been a huge public outpouring of concern, not dissimilar to the Me Too movement a couple of years ago, but much more broad than I think people being harassed at work and on the streets. There has been a real concern in the public that women's safety has not been taken as seriously as it should be, both in public, when we're out and about, living our own lives, in our homes where most people for most of the population the idea that you'd be safe in your home is something that is quite sacred but actually for lots of women one in three women and over a million women in the united kingdom today home is not safe it is the least safe place for them and also uh, safety in in work and latterly in in an education setting real concerns about safety in an education setting and while i have been in the news talking about better outcomes in criminal justice for sexual violence, for sexual harassment, for trying to change policy on domestic abuse to improve sentencing and also support for victims. Uh, the reality is, is that all of these things are things that have been being discussed and being pushed forward by people like myself and the sector, uh, the violence against women and girls sector for many, many years It's just getting its moment in the sun at the moment. So the schools thing is a really good example of something that we did an inquiry four years ago into peer-on-peer harassment in school environments. And we found lots of it. And we found there was lots of recommendations for Ofsted, for the Department for Education, um, in order to help schools themselves, not recommendations for schools directly, but for the Department for Education to schools. But, you know, I'm afraid to say that largely it's been ignored. And so then when this whole thing happens up in the news, it feels like it's very like it's very sudden and that it's it's very of the moment when actually these things have been bubbling under for quite some time. Yes, your shadow minister for domestic violence and safeguarding. It's obviously a post that you're very clearly well qualified for. What would you like to see schools do then? Clearly, warnings haven't been taken into account previously. What would you like to see happen in schools? 
Look, I think that in schools, the first thing I would say is that I get very, very uh, worried, not just in school environments, but in police force areas, local councils, local health authorities, that we devolve the blame. And it's very easy to say, oh, well, teacher, head teachers aren't doing enough to stop sexual harassment in schools. In some cases, will absolutely be the case. There is good, bad and ugly across the board in the country, no doubt about it. But there is there has been until two years ago there was no guidance around peer-on-peer sexual harassment in school there has always been safeguarding guidance for a teacher an adult to pupil safeguarding issue but Ofsted don't inspect on it for example like you know that whilst uh, safeguarding is part of Ofsted's remit it is there is nothing specifically around attitudes in school and how we deliver sex and relationship educations in schools and how well that's done and how there's a whole school approach to safeguarding like that isn't that hasn't been being done by Ofsted and you know what it seems to me as a parent is that what we count and what we are inspected on are the things that schools whether they like it or not put an effort into improving so attendance is the example that I will always give in this area my kids when they were at primary school used to get a little badge at the end of the year like a hundred percent attendance teddy badge thing for for going to school I, I it's on every single report card that I receive I receive like data around my son's my son's attendance at secondary school um you know and there's like you know that this class can have a pizza at the end of the year the, in whichever year like there's all sorts of like lovely sort of adorable schemes around attendance which actually schools don't have any real control over because it really it's not it's the responsibility of parents and children if 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 there's sort of poor a poor attendance issue but schools are incentivized by their regime to do something about it you know i'd really really like it if schools were incentivized by the regime that the department for education lays out and that ofsted lays out to be incentivized to make sure that they are preventing sexual harassment that there is stuff that is going on that prevents it like there is stuff that prevents poor attendance that goes on yes just to jump in there on the safeguarding under the inspection framework schools are judged on safeguarding to be effective or not do you think then some work should be done to rate safeguarding from call it whatever you want outstanding through to inadequate or maybe safeguarding should be judged as effective upon different areas so effective in terms of dealing with sexual harassment is it effective in dealing with vulnerable children and their cases for example yeah i I mean i i would prefer to see a system where we don't just have an on or off system where we look at specific areas and how we need to target them because you know it's the on or off system suggests well our children at imminent risk of death in this school no then it's probably all right which you know and that's that's not just schools that's children safeguarding across the country and that's because of a massively diminished resource over many years to to because as teachers one thing I have to say at the moment uh, you know what I'm really have to find a fine balancing act of doing is not demanding too much of teachers because the teachers in my constituency are now universal services across the board they are social workers they are police officers they're the people who are meant to keep the local street scene safe they're literally the ones offering like patrols around schools to stop drug dealing in parts of my constituency and they're meant to get good maths and English do you know what I mean like that's that's not okay and so for people like me to come along then and be like oh well they need to be doing this 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 and graded on this 
there needs to be proper resource put down to make sure that safeguarding can be offered in cases of sexual harassment and violence in schools by specialists and where all teachers are trained at one level but then there are some and other professionals within school and without school that come into school that are specialists in that because you've got to be a specialist in geography and also the the power and control models of sexual violence in children we need to know about onion rock formation you can't know everything and I want you to be able to teach kids to love geography or history or whatever it is at the same time as feeling that they're in a safe space where there is a route for somewhere to go that's what I would that's the ultimate is what I want to see is teachers being able to teach but being able to have a proper robust and understood referral pathway to challenge behaviors in schools but to be able to to then send it on to a specialist whether it's a CAMS mental health specialist whether it's safeguarding specialist whether it's a domestic violence specialist but the system that sits around schools has been degraded and it leaves schools holding literally all the babies. To build on your point, do you welcome then the announcement today from Tom Bennett about the 22 behaviour hubs? I know that's not there specifically to deal with safeguarding, but it's safeguarding is part of behaviour management and it's part of how we respond and respect to one another. Uh, no, I don't, I, I don't welcome it because I don't know what it's based on. Don't know where the evidence based. Uh, I, I'm really hopeful that there is one because uh, I think it was £22 million or something that was earmarked. I can't remember the exact figure. No teacher in my constituency has of late come to me and said, we have a real behaviour issue and behaviour is the thing post-pandemic. So, I mean, that that might ju- that's totally anecdotal on my part, but I'd like to see a body of evidence that says that that is the big issue. Certainly, if you were to ask the head teachers in my constituency, they would be coming up with something completely different, asking for support. And I, I think actually the single thing that they would want to see and if these behaviour units offer it, are they going to offer quick and easy access to specialist mental health referral services? That's the thing, I think. If they or a social worker in and, in and around school or, or um, child psychologist, educational psychologist, as it were, I think that's what they would say. That would be really, really helpful if we had that. And maybe that's what if that's what's going to be in these places, that's certainly what I will lobby to be in these hubs. Then the idea of having a hub that is about things that are external to teachers response is fine but I have to say I think that Gavin Williamson is just playing to a base at the idea that there's naughty kids marauding everywhere (laughs) I can't say I've noticed although I, I am the mother of two children who I would always like to see them act with more discipline but so would every parent one should have thought Catherine Burble Singh, head of Michaela Schoolers, you know, cause some furore with, with some people. She's she's backed completely by others with that statement she said last week of saying, our boys would never treat our girls like that. It just wouldn't happen. Now, not I don't necessarily want to discuss the ins and outs of her words, but do you think that there has got to be an individual responsibility placed upon head teachers to build the culture as opposed to central government? Oh, absolutely. I think that it's on head teachers to build the culture of their school. School leadership, I think, over the last, well, you know, certainly the last 20 years, feels as if the idea that school leadership with, you know, external to the fact that resources is always going to be an issue, but it makes or breaks a school. 
it makes or breaks school, maybe even with the same budget line, that really good, strong leadership, leading a, a team as a team and working within the community beyond the gates of the school will massively change the outcomes for that school whether whether it's an outcomes framework that fits with a national perspective or but that there is you know real value in really strong leadership and I would absolutely say that it's the responsibility of schools. Jeff your own dad Stuart was a teacher can you tell us a little bit about what it was like growing up with uh, with being, being the daughter of a teacher and did you ever think about going into teaching rather than going into politics? It, like Not just like my dad was a teacher. My mum wasn't a teacher, but almost every other member of my family was a teacher. Like all my aunts and uncles were teachers. Like It felt a lot like that was the thing that working class kids went in. They went to teacher training college as baby boomers, that generation, like loads of them. And had made a real success out of their lives through teaching I think my dad probably tried to put me off teaching, if I'm honest, because I think he had thought, felt that he'd seen the change over his career of it being much more about targets and league tables and things like that, and much less about the individual kids themselves. So he, yeah, I think that he probably would have tried to put me off it a little bit. I think that probably there were times when I definitely considered being a teacher, definitely. I quite like the idea. When I was working at Women's Aid, in, I used to go into schools and teach like education around consent and safeguarding and all of those sorts of things as a sort of specialist in the... And I, I remember the first time thinking, I'm going to, it's going to be absolutely fine. Like, you know, I, I, I'm streetwise. The, the kids, absolutely. Like, it's a genuine skill that I do not have. Like, I, I think anyone thinks that they could go into a classroom and just totally own it. But it took me like about a year or so of doing it alongside a professional teacher until I felt confident in doing it because it is proper solid like the kids know how to literally run rings around you so I'm not sure I'd have fared all that well in teaching because I would definitely have been one of those ones who wanted the kids to like them and think they were cool whereas my dad was not like that my dad I imagine was really really fair but really really strict he was really strict as a dad and being raised by a teacher like constantly as well because my dad by the time I was at school he had moved into sort of teacher training so he trained NQTs my mum used to call them his cuties with the NQTs for young teachers that would come and learn to teach and so he would come into the schools that I was at and like be teaching kids teachers in the classroom and loads of the teachers knew him because he was like an advisory teacher who taught teachers and so I used to just hate that I absolutely hate that and that he he was always so strict with me when he ever came into the classroom but also he's just really strict at home and he, he like he knew everything about the courses you were meant to be doing and so you couldn't pull the wool over his eyes but my brother was a school like a, a serial school refuser like went to and was expelled from like four or five different schools in Birmingham and went to like what I don't think we called them prus back then we called them just school refuser schools but he went to two, di- I mean, he refused one of them. He went to two different ones of them. And I remember he used to tell me these really tall stories about uh, 
like, oh, they were allowed to smoke fags in the classroom. <laughs> I still don't know whether that's true or not. But anyway, but he eventually even couldn't keep on board with that. And my dad taught him at home. My dad had retired by that point and taught him. And my brother got like five good GCSEs, A to C. And my dad had enrolled him at a college. So, you know, in one regard, it was it was helpful having a teacher as a parent. In another regard, it was just like, oh, God, when he'd be like, oh, what do you think they're asking you in the question rather than just this is the answer? That is so annoying. When teachers, like make their kids go and look things up. Ugh, the worst. You attended a well-known grammar school in Birmingham. I did. Mm-hmm. You received a, a criticism as a Labour MP from from people for, for that decision to go to grammar school, or is it a, a, you know accepted and appreciated? Not really. A little bit of criticism. I think most people recognise that, you know, when you make a decision when you're 11, <laughs> entirely sure you, you have to be held to account for it. Uh, I think I would have got much more criticism, although lots of Labour MPs don't, if I'd sent my children to that same grammar school, which is the local school to my house. So maybe I would have got more criticism. And if my children had wanted to go, genuinely had wanted to go I would have put my politics aside and allowed them to but when I asked them if they wanted to take the 11 plus my son was literally like you're asking me if I want to take a voluntary test on a Saturday yeah and he was like that no why would anybody want to do that like that is that's madness mother so my children had never showed any signs of uh, of really wanting to go to the grammar school so I never I never had to make that decision so it's not even out of any sort of like real political like there's no way I want you to go to a state and also the two three state comprehensive schools n- near my house of which I am in the catchment area are all outstanding schools so it's really easy for me to be smug and say oh well my kids go to that because they had to an option of three amazingly good schools to go to that anybody the people move to my area to send their children to go to so it, you know I, I'm not going to sit here and I, I always think that it's it's a really dangerous game to be criticizing politicians for the decisions that they make about their own children it's my responsibility as a parent is completely different to my responsibility as uh, to all the children so I, I have to make the best decision for my own kids. I have to make the best decision for all the children based on something completely different. And I don't think grammar schools are a good thing. I would I would get rid of them, you know, if it were... Actually, I'm not sure that I would. That's too strong a statement to say I would get rid of them. But I, I think that they're not good for the local education environment, actually, to be selective in that manner. Um, but I... If my kids had wanted to go, I think I would have I, I would have been like, well, this is the decision I have to make on that. And I think every parent just wants what's best for their kid. And that's OK. That that's that's a universal thing that most people can understand. It's a bit much if you lecture and say private schools should all be shut down and then you send your children to private school. I think that that is a bit much. But no, I've never really been criticised for it, particularly. Like from the thick of it with Malcolm Tucker Stalking yeah. Murray and, and forcing her to make decisions between her career and her. Yeah, that is just, I mean, I think that though selective state schools, which is what I went to, or grant maintained schools as it was, and sending your kid, paying for your kid to go to school is quite, I think that the public would see it, do see a distinction. Like the schools that you oversee in your constituency aren't good enough for your children. So you're going to pay for them to go to a different one. It's a different argument because actually anyone in Birmingham can take the 11 plus of course, and there is no there is no financial barrier to going there. But of course, there is. Jess, you received a lot of profile 
at the time when you were supporting the staff at Parkfield Community School following the protests as there was um, uproar over the teaching of LGBTQ plus lessons at the school. Now, how did you resolve that issue and what did you say to the protesters? How's it? I'm not entirely sure that I did resolve that issue. I think I helped the people who had to try and resolve the issue, which was the head teacher of that school uh, and Birmingham City Council. And all power to the elbow of the head teacher of that school. My gosh, did she earn her keep in those few weeks? But my job then was really to stick up for them and give them the strength to keep on pushing back rather than trying to say this is too difficult an issue and so everybody's going to just look away to go and front it out and to be perfectly honest I didn't intend to front it out she just emailed me Sarah the head teacher of Anderton Park uh, as well as I was dealing with Parkview she just emailed me and just was like I feel like nobody's listening to me and I was just like oh well I'll just pop down in the morning it was literally and then there was there's a massive protest and loads of tv cameras so it was totally unintended but then you know when I was stood there I thought yeah I'm gonna have to be brave for this woman who's having to be brave uh, and give her some cover actually give her some aerial cover for a period because I was one of the people who passed the legislation who I was one of the people who put in the amendment that made it compulsory and it was never about like teaching people about LGBT families or not that was one you know it that's just how it's manifested quite rightly to talk to people about all the different sorts of families the legislation was all about teaching kids about safeguarding and sexual harassment abuse exploitation like how to keep kids safe and to make people grow into adults less likely to be both victims and perpetrators of abuse like that was the whole point of it and so I felt really passionately that I wanted kids to be having that education so that what I mean what I said to the protesters was that you know a they'd misunderstood you you, you've got a total misunderstanding about what is actually happening you're spreading lies but what I said to them is that you're also you're terribly representing on a national stage the Muslim community I have lived amongst my entire life and it, nobody's winning. Like this is bad. This is bad for LGBT what people watching. It's bad for people who you know the the far right. Katie Hopkins turned up, like you know the far right turned up saying. Suddenly she was all for gay rights. I was just like, and Muslim people. I was a bit like, this is bizarre. Yeah, and, and also the whole freedom of speech, like they've got to be allowed to protest. And it's like, oh, not those sorts of people are allowed to protest. Do you know what I mean? Like the whole thing was mired in, in contradictions and upsets for the political class across the board. And so basically I just felt like I had to give some aerial cover to the head teacher. The community in that school, who their kids were going to that school perfectly happily. Most of the parents were absolutely fine with what was being taught, which was basically just like sort of like, like pictures in a book that says that, you know, there are different sorts of families, that some people are single parent families. Like that was it. It wasn't even the community of that school. It was a very, very conservative with a small say, tiny group of people. And then people were coming from all over the country. It's the same thing that you've seen happening, I think, elsewhere in, in Yorkshire, where it becomes like a cause celeb for a certain group of people. And, and unfortunately, in this case, some of those people were Katie Hopkins. Yes, do you think teachers, head teachers, school leaders should have some form of like a parliamentary privilege? Because if our educators are not able to teach 
our kids, you know, the, the, the tough lessons or the things that are inverted commas controversial. Well, who can and who will? And yeah. we provide some more, you know, you talk about cover, cover to our educators so that they don't have to be fearful of consequences. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the trouble is, I mean, within like the various legal frameworks like the Equality Act, the public equality duty, like within safeguarding, I think that teachers have got to be able to explore ideas with children and young people. But, you know, I, I wouldn't want to give cover to somebody, you know, for being wildly racist, for example, or for suggesting that women are, uh, you know, should be subservient to men, which I've known to be taught in. I, I've seen examples of that being taught to, to pupils. So within the reams of government guidelines. But then, you know, I think that we, we have to protect teachers who want to talk about difficult and challenging issues. And it was my experience that going in and talking about such issues, difficult and challenging issues around domestic violence sexual violence and consent and things schools is that actually the nine times out of ten parents are fine with it actually it's always just a tiny usually like one or two that will make a huge amount of noise and want to pull their children out of in fact that very rarely even happened at all in my entire time of going into many, many different schools, like Catholic schools, majoritively Muslim schools, actually Islamic faith schools as well. I have been in and talked about sexual violence, domestic violence, different sorts of families, women's empowerment in all of those places. And very rarely have I had anybody been like, well, actually, this this young woman has got to be taken out or this young man has got to be taken out of the class. It's actually quite rare. But yeah, I do think that teachers, you know, the government and the unions, teaching unions should back teachers in that regard. just wanted to ask you, we talked about your dad, Stuart. I just wanted to talk about your mum for a second, because she was a passionate advocate for mental health in Birmingham. She was. And uh, I wondered if you'd tell us a little bit about your mum, because I'm told by people who knew her, she was a very inspirational woman. Do you think we're heading towards a bit of a mental health crisis with our with, with the younger generations? What, what, what advice would your mum give you? Yeah, my mum would be constantly banging the drum for parity of esteem between physical health and mental health. And, uh, you know, actually, children's mental health, I think that the enormity of the discussion around it now, just in my mum's lifetime, she died 10 years ago, just wasn't like, it wasn't even common parlance. It was like, you know, the very severe cases would go to CAMS or the way we see it now where we're, the, the deep concerns about very sort of widespread depression, anxiety, self-harm, eating disorders amongst young people that we, we are as a nation much more uh, interested in. My, I don't think my mum would have had any sort of, you know, she had no idea that it was going to get sort of like that. But what she would absolutely be arguing for would be proper understanding and resource going into children's mental health. Actually, you know, she was the mum of a kid who nowadays would definitely be probably pathologized in a different way to the way that he was um and and actually he was definitely as a child suffering very severe trauma very severe mental health uh, troubles but actually back then it was just he was just naughty <laughs> uh, and he was it was it was just trouble that so i think that she would probably and she probably felt that way as well she didn't pathologize him in that way either that actually that she would be she would be because of her experience with luke and have been campaigning for many years around mental health services 
she would have been absolutely at the forefront of uh, of fighting for something. And if my mum was still alive today, you are right that she was an inspiring character, but she was nothing like me. I, my mum would make people do things by virtue of just being good. Like she was just a good woman and she would just have a way of convincing people. Whereas I end up having a massive Barney with some bloke outside of school. My mum has had a sort of like, I don't know how she did it. I wish I knew she had a calm way. And so she would just be in front of government ministers. Now I have absolutely no doubt that she would just be, she would just be very, very, very calmly uh, fighting for young people's mental health. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, so it's this is it's quite a difficult task because you can only answer Jess with one word. Okay. So, right, well, first first one. School funding. Cut. School exclusions. Well, it's sad. Large academy chains. Mixed. The DFE. <laughs> Useless. Gavin uh, Williamson. Imposter. The Summer Catch-Up Programme. <laughs> the triumph of hope over experience, isn't it? Um, hopeful. And last one, 20, 2021 GCSE plans. Unwritten. Catch-Up, Fridge or Cupboards. Cupboard. You're the first guest ever to say cupboards. Tea or coffee. Tea, if I had to pick one, but I like both, but I'd pick tea. My husband used to not like coffee because he thought that coffee was the enemy of tea. <laughs> like it was like a loyalty thing. What would be or who would be your top artist on Spotify or any other music provider? Uh, it will be probably like the Beatles. I'm, I'm very like not down with the kids. Jess, when pubs reopen soon... What is the first thing that you are ordering from the bar? Oh, that is a good question. I think I, I, I want a pint of beer chilled like it is in it when you get it on draft. Like I haven't that 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 so like a like a like a proper pint of like IPA or something. So normally we ask teaching room one hundred and one what would you consign to oblivion, but I'm going to change it to Parliament room one hundred and one. What in Parliament would you consign to oblivion? And it can't be a person or a party. OK, what would I consign to oblivion? I, I would consign all the stupid language like the you, you can't say you. Like, I, I, I hate that. I, like all the oh, the doff in your cap and everything, because I just get it wrong. And it just makes me feel like a naughty schoolgirl every single day when I'm at work. I'm like, sorry, Mr. Speaker. Sorry. If you were shipwrecked. And you've got all your food and water, but you could take two items. What would you take on the desert island? I would take, this is awful, I would take a vape. <laughs> I don't know how I would live without it. And a Kindle loaded with loads and loads and loads of books. You've just rescued it for an education podcast. The Kindle answer overcame the vape answer there. Well done. Final question, Jess. If you had a time machine, what event in history would you like to go back and witness? If you if you're in a time machine and you can go back to any point in history, where would you go back to? I I think that I'd probably quite like to go back to the 1920s when I think that like the idea of women's 
women's liberation was sort of being plotted on a very, very, you know, low level. Also great outfits and parties. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you tonight on, on More Than A Job podcast. Please, would you agree at some point in the future? I know you're very, very busy, so we'll leave you, we'll leave you be for a while. But would you come back on in the future at some point? Yeah, of course. Of course, of course, of course. No worries. Really appreciate you giving up your time. Keep doing the great work that you're doing in Birmingham Yard. I'm sure the uh, the constituents appreciate. Thank you very much, Jess. No worries. My Thank pleasure. Jess. Thanks for having me. You're Take welcome. care. Bye. Bye.